Welcome to the Flint Catholic Podcast. I'm Father Tony Smila. And I'm Michael Hasso. So if I did my counting right, happy 50th episode. Yep. We've done this 50 times now. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. So that's almost a full year, although we've been doing this, I think, just about a year. We've missed only a few weeks. Yeah. So that puts us at about our one-year anniversary. So yep. happy 50th episode. That's exciting. May there be many more. Yep. Yay. So today we're going to go back to hashtag BYOB, which means Romans. Well, what what does BYOB stand for? (laughs) It's true. We are going to Romans. The Bishop's Year of the Bible. The Bishop's Year of the Bible. Or in some circles, it might be bring your own Bible. Bring your own Bible. That's right. Or you can do what I do too and go to blueletterbible.com, which is a fantastic resource, by the way. Oh, blueletterbible.org. Sorry, it's an org. Blueletterbible.org, one of my favorite resources too. So, yes, today we are diving into Romans. We have successfully navigated through the Old Testament. We are now in the New Testament, and one of Paul's most prolific letters. It's his longest letter, um, and it's really just probably his best, his best work, his best um, systematic unfolding of his thought. Really, it seems like he's taken his time and 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 went through this. So. Um, it seems like he's writing this from his third missionary journey, so it's not his first letter. That's the first thing to notice, right? It's the first um, letter in terms of Paul's letters in the chronologically in the Bible, but it's not the first one he wrote. So they're not putting the letters in the Bible in the order that he wrote them. And I think that's an important thing to know, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so Romans was not his first letter that he wrote. Uh, but really, I think they, they kind of just ordered them mostly by size how long the letter is. Really? I did not know that. Yeah, Romans is the longest one. And then and yeah. it seems to me, I don't know if this is That's actually true. confirmed. It, it does. It would roughly follow that. It roughly it, follows that. Whether or not it's, you know, to the word. Right. <laughs> and of course it wasn't initially put in that order in English. So yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but definitely Romans is, is one of his longer, uh, his, if the longest book, uh, it's certainly his most long systematic unfolding of his thought, right? Yeah. So uh, he's writing this during his third missionary journey. Uh, he's writing from Greece, Ephesus or Corinth, uh, one of those two places between 56, 58, probably even into 61, kind of depends. Um, and really, it's, I think it's also placed first because it's probably his most important epistle. Uh, lays the foundation for his preaching, his theology, yeah. uh, looks at the universal outlook, special implications for Israel's relation to the church, God's righteousness, baptism, all of these things are kind of yeah. thrown into the mix. Yeah, and it's, I think it's also just so important because it, it really is like the theological foundation yeah. of the church. Right. I mean, the New Testament, it's like really all of the authors are really just commenting on the Old Testament mm-hmm. other than the Gospels, of course. And so it's just... Like, this is really the first glimpse that we have at the theology of the early church, mm-hmm. which is which is why I would definitely put this on, like, the short list of, you know, if you're going to only read, like, 10 books of the Bible or whatever, this would definitely be, like, near the top, yeah. I think. Since we picked 12 books of the Bible, yeah, that's why we picked it. Yep. It's just, it's that important. All right, so let's, uh, let's dive into the main themes. What... Are the main themes. So there, I think there are two main themes in this book. One, sinful people are incapable of redeeming themselves. Michael, are you That's, a sinful person? I am. <laughs> so am I. We are all sinful people, right? Yeah. None of us are capable of redeeming ourselves. This is essentially what he's saying. Um, we find redemption not through observance of the law, but through the gratuitous gift of grace obtained through faith in Christ, made possible through his death and resurrection. 
that's an important piece, right? So we see uh, we're making that shift in theological thought from Judaism to Christianity. Up until that point, observance of the law was priority, right? That's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you see all these groups come up that want to know how do we live out the law the best? How do we, uh, how do we live as a group um, the law the best? How do we interpret the law? And so it's all focused on the law, God's word. And Paul's saying, no, it's not, that's not where we find redemption because now we've been saved. And that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that fulfills the law. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're talking about law, that's a pretty important word in Romans specifically. And there's two different meanings to law. Sometimes Paul's talking about the law as in the capital L, right. Ten Commandments Correct. law. The 613 laws of yeah. the Old Testament. And by the way, that didn't pass away, the Ten Commandments. But then other times he's talking about those 613 laws. Right. And those did pass away. And he he really kind of goes after them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also says, you know, how, how the law made him aware of what sin was. Right. And so... Right. And, and you know, it's the law that really... It's, it's getting over a mindset as well. It's not the law that's going to save us. It's not the law that uh, the observance of the law, even if you follow it perfectly, we're incapable of doing it ourselves. We need Jesus Christ. It's the only way to do it. Um, so really pushing through that mindset of, um, yeah, we still follow the law, right? And even in that que- at that time, right, the question was still, you know, do we have to follow the law exactly as we have before? Or do we or have those laws been... Uh, been fulfilled and which ones so those questions were still floating around in the early church even though you know maybe less than 10 years later they'd had the council of jerusalem and really said okay gentiles don't need to become jews first before becoming christians so they settled that question but practically how did the practice come about especially for jews who were converting to christianity did they still have to follow the law it's a lot of questions and so he's trying to say uh, it's not the law that saves us let's not forget that it's Jesus Christ that saves us. His death and resurrection. It's a gift. It's a gift that God wants to give us. So that's the first theme, right? Sinful people are incapable of redeeming themselves. Number two, Paul tries to reconcile the Jewish and Gentile Christians. So we just kind of basically just mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, so Jews at that time were claiming superiority as the chosen people. Gentiles believed that they had replaced Israel as the new people of God. Both of those are dumb. Both of those aren't <laughs> true, right? We, we, we can see that there's, there's still some animosity between Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians. They're not mixing well together. And, and you, at, to a point, you really can't blame them because up until this for a thousand years, they had really made sure to separate themselves in all things. There was a clear separation in, in Judaism uh, between Jews and Gentiles, as we see, because the problem was idolatry before, right? Too much mixing, intermixing, brought about idolatry. And so the Jews were very careful not to mix with Gentiles as much as possible. Now all of that's gone. And we are one people, one family of God brought in through baptism. That doesn't go away right away, right? That's just human nature taking over. That such uh, strong um, beliefs, such strong actions that have lived forever, it's just really tough to throw away in a moment. It's really yeah. tough to throw away even in a single generation. And so Paul is really working with these two groups uh, 
to, to, to work with each other, pleading with them to work with each other and trying to show them that, no, we're, we're, we're all the same. Jew, Gentile, Greek, slave, free, woman, man, we're all, we're all the people of God. So that's one of the other main themes. So I think what we're going to do from at this point is just jump into the book and uh, we'll read a few of the, um, I think, the real more important pieces and then talk about them. So Romans 3 is the first place I would like to go to. Romans 3, 21 to 31. But now the righteousness of God has been ma- manifested apart from the law. Okay, so there's the law, right? We're already talking about the law. Paul brings up the law right away. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. All right, so that's the first um, main theme right there, right? That sinful people are incapable of redeeming themselves. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. All right, let's stop there real quick, too. Um, Now we're using both kinds of law, right? We're using both definitions of the law that you mentioned, right? We have the law of the Old Testament, the law that God gave us, the law of works, the law of faith, the law of Christ Jesus. We're seeing the the dichotomy of those two playing out right there. Yeah, and something I noticed too, um, I think probably for the first time, just that, um, that I guess what you were saying last about Jews and Gentiles and how, how there was this tension between them and it really put in put this verse in context where paul says um where he says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god it just it just gave me a new context for that of like he's sort of evening the playing field oh yeah yeah i mean you can see like you know he's thinking when i say all have all fall short of the glory of god right all have sinned it's like the Jews are like, yeah, the Gentiles do, yeah. <laughs> right? And the Gentiles are pointing to the Jews and saying the exact same thing. Yeah. No, you too. And, and then you they're too. both like, oh crap, he said all. <laughs> That's right. He said all. You can't just point to the other and say it's them, right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. So now we're talking about the law. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So here's like that, that real, the the massive argument about justification, righteousness, righteousness. Um, this is a huge theological idea that, that Paul is really developing here in Romans. How are we justified? How can we come before God uh, in righteousness? We can't because we've all sinned. So, uh, so then now we get to verse 29, right? And here we go back to that original. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by his, this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. There's so much here just in this one paragraph, right? So good. So how are we made righteous? How are we justified? 
It's through faith. He makes it clear that it is through faith. It is not through works of the law. It is through faith because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we were judged by the law, it's over for us. We're done. We lose. You lose. Good day, sir. Do you, do you, rec- you know where I that's don't from? know where that's from. <laughs> that's uh, the end of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, yeah. Charlie's yeah, yeah. like, I, d- I didn't lose. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs> so good. I would not have guessed that. <laughs> it's, it's just my favorite one-off line from that movie. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to use that in my daily life all the time and nobody knows what I'm going to talk about. Yep. Except now all of you. Secrets out. Yep. All right. So what do we mean by faith? All right. Faith is a huge piece here. We're talking about ju- being justified by faith. Faith is much more than a passive acceptance of truths revealed by God. That's oftentimes what we think, right? Just have faith. Just believe. Just accept the truths believed by God. But faith is deeper than that. And especially the way Paul is using it here, he's using it much more. Uh, this is, involves giving ourselves completely to Christ and conforming ourselves to his life. So when we say we no longer have to follow the law, yeah, because it's the law of faith now. The law of faith requires that we conform our lives to him. Therefore, we basically are practicing the law. But we're not focused on the law. We're focused on Christ. Changes our entire orientation. We're still following the law, just in a different way. Just as Christ loved perfectly even unto death, death, those who have faith in Christ will also lay down their lives as they strive to love as Christ loved. So not only do you follow the law, you're following it better than you were before. You're willing to lay your life down for it, just as Christ laid his life down for us. So if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, it changes our entire lives. We don't live for the world anymore. We live for Jesus Christ. And that acceptance of faith will be manifested through good works. But remember, it's not the good works that save us. That's what Paul is saying. It's not the good works. It's the manifestation of that faith of the person. The more a person sins, the less faith they have, and vice versa. That's how we know. So that brings us to Romans 5. I don't think we're going to get through these all. <laughs> Here we go. We're going to try our we'll, best. We'll do our best. We'll do our best. Romans 5, 12 to 21. You can hit pause and, and move to that point in your Bible if you want to follow along. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through the one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. A type of the one who was to come. All right, now we're dealing in what's called typology. And I kind of like typology. It's a really nerdy area of theology. But it, it shows. It, yeah, it's super nerdy. Um, but it, it, we're talking about uh, Adam being, or Jesus being the new Adam, right? Jesus overcoming the sin of Adam. Jesus's yes undid Adam's no. Right? So that's what Paul is talking about here. So even when you have something deep and nerdy like typology, there has to be a development of theology here. And that's where we see real development in St. Paul, uh, the development of theology. To get something deep like this, it's so good. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundant abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, there's that word righteousness again, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is so good. So we talk about Adam and Christ, right? Adam uh, prefiguring Christ, Eve prefigures Mary in the same way. Yep. So good. Just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, Adam's sin led to all of us leading to sin. So one man's act of righteousness leads to acquittal and life for all men. That would be Jesus Christ. Yep. It's really good. I wonder how he came up with that, how he thought of that. Yeah, I mean, he did spend like three years in the desert before he did like anything, like even met with the apostles. Oh, at, at least, yeah. So. <laughs> no doubt, and he doesn't go on his missionary journeys, and he doesn't start writing his yeah. letter to like decade later. Yeah, at so least. I think he he probably had a good amount of time of prayer. No doubt. Gosh, so good. All right, that flips us to Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized under Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? All right, now we're talking about baptism. Cool stuff. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Oh, I love that so much. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Right. That's so good. Yeah. Right. When we dip into the waters of baptism, we're really diving into his tomb. And when we rise up from the waters of baptism, we're leaving the tomb. We're rising up out of the tomb. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there was like at least three good, um, I don't know, really, really important theological points for what we believe as Christians that he just like flew through, oh my gosh. which, I, which no I, I, I love. But one of the things that I like about this is that when you read them, I feel like you can understand them a lot better. Like for instance, he touches on con- concupiscence, which is this idea of how, um, through the sin of Adam and Eve, uh, and original sin, we have this inclination towards sin. And so he touches on that, but he also touches on things like baptism, redemption. Why would the early church have been so concerned with baptism? Probably because it undoes original sin. It, um, it restores us to Christ. It's through baptism that we have access to the redemption of Jesus Christ on the cross. So this is huge, and I just love it too because he he just goes through this in pretty plain language. If you like, if you spend the time with it to to really understand what he's saying, this is where it all comes from, which is a beautiful thing. Absolutely. 
All right, so that brings us to if we had like all day long and hours, we'd just keep going, but we got to move on to the next one. So the next one brings us to Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, yeah, that's me, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Ah, this is so good, right? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is so good, right? We're trying to, we don't live here for the world. We live for the eternal life where we have our eyes pointed on God. That's what we are meant to be, right? At, at the mass, pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and your, yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father, right? What are we offering? We're offering our entire selves. We are all participate in the priest, prophet, and king of Jesus, right? And when, as our um, uh, participation in the priestly nature of Christ, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Nice. This is so good. Yeah. Gosh, this is so good, right? I was going to say, so this true. is like one of my favorite passages in Romans. I, oh, man. Although I probably would have said that, you know, the previous three or four passages we looked at. Right. I just keep showing what my favorites are. But verse two here, though, which is up next, man, if I had a dollar for every time I used this in like an article or, <laughs> or Do any, not be conformed to this world. Yep. Absolutely. The world lies to us. Yep. The world lies to us and tells us what happiness is. And like, no, that's not happiness. None yeah. of that is. We are not to be conformed to this world, transformed by the renewal of our mind, right? Our minds need to be transformed into Christ. That's why I mean, Jesus wants us to actually consume him so that we can be conformed to him. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. All right. And we've got one left. We've almost made it. Romans chapter 16, 17, verse 27. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and to what, as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and so Sosipater. Sosipater. <laughs> Who's that? My kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. All right. Do I need to go even further? I think there's something else I have here. Yeah. There's right. probably a few more potential baby names in here. Right? Baby names. So many good <laughs> ones. Man, I tell you what. 
I'm always, as you know, I'm always partial to Tilgath Pelesar. Yep. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's Old Testament. All right. So, essentially, take note of those who create dissension and difficulties, right? The question is, who are the false teachers around us today? There are many false teachers around us. How do we discern them? All right. So, for example, I have a tweet here from a prominent uh, U.S. politician. I'm not going to say who it is, uh, but he wrote this uh, on Easter. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. False. Yeah. Really, the real question is, how many heresies can you fit in 144 characters? And that was a lot of them. That, there's quite a few in there. Like, that's just, I saw that and went, does this guy even know how to Christian? The answer right. is no. No, he clearly doesn't. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Excuse me? Yeah. Like, well, I'm like, first off, like, if we're just talking about Easter, <laughs> the, like the holy day of Easter, uh-huh. which is literally to celebrate the resurrection. Uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> there's nothing all. more. There's nothing more transcendent in our faith. Yeah. Without the resurrection, yeah. our faith is in vain. Yeah. Means nothing. And then, of course, at the end, right? Are we able to save ourselves? That's the. That's one of the main themes of Romans. Are we able to save ourselves? No. We can't. Yeah. So there's Pelagianism right there. I think Paul would like turn over in his grave. Oh my gosh! I. This yeah. is. Oof. Oof. I don't know what Paul would say to this guy, but it probably wouldn't be good. Yeah. Well, I, I think more importantly than what Paul would say to this guy, what would he say to us mm-hmm. about this guy and, and others saying similar things? Oh, sure. He's not the only one who says this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. People say this in a thousand different ways. Yep. So. Yep. So, I don't know if you can hear that behind us. Do you hear that? I do. It's time for a class exchange of powers. <laughs> where we are recording this at the moment. Yep. So with that in mind, we're going to take a break and we will see you on the other side. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. So I think this time, because um, I'm, I'm teaching five classes a day right now, uh, my voice kind of hurts. So I'm going to let you take over this segment. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So uh, for this segment, we're going to be talking about Our Lady of Mount Carmel and the Brown Scapular. So this is a really great, very ancient devotion that I think a lot of people don't really know much about, especially especially Catholics. Like, I think people have some some mild awareness of it. But we'll just start with a little bit of the history, and then I'll go into a little bit more about this devotion, how to exercise this devotion, I guess you might say. So in the year 1251, in the town of Aeselford in England, 
Our Lady appeared to St. Simon Stock, a Carmelite. She handed him a brown woolen scapular and said, quote, This shall be a privilege for you and all Carmelites, that anyone dying in this habit shall not suffer eternal fire. Now, in the time of the in in time the church extended this privilege to all of the laity who are willing to be invested with the brown scapular of the Carmelites who per- per- perpetually wear it. So that's that's um that's kind of a promise. Yeah. It's kind of a big deal. It right? is. Anyone dying in this habit shall not suffer eternal fire. Yeah. That's kind of neat. I'm yeah. paying attention now. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that got my attention. Yep, yep. We we could have labeled the segment fire insurance. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, we still might. Maybe we will. We still might. Um, so I wanted to talk about this promise in particular because I think there's a lot of superstition around it, unfortunately. Um, so some people mistakenly believe that they can live however they want, but by wearing the scapular, they're purchasing, you know, the fire insurance, All as right. I mentioned. I'm no longer interested. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Good to know. You're already out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That was it. <laughs> so this is not true. Hopefully, hopefully you know that already, but this is not true. Make sure you tell your friends, family, mm-hmm. everyone. Yep. Um, the promise is true, but the promise is more, it's more than just the superstitious action of just wearing a scapular. Um, the action, well, I should say first, and this is what we talk about really all the time, only relationship with Jesus will get you to heaven. Correct. Period. Kind of what, you know, St. Paul was saying in Romans, right? Yeah. It's not the law that saves us. It's Jesus Christ that saves us. Exactly. Yeah. And so that, that relationship is manifest through baptism and faith and, and all of that. But ultimately you have to have a relationship with Jesus in order to be saved. Period. Mm -hmm. So we'll start there. And now we can talk about the brown scapular. So a scapular is, uh, is simply a devotion to Jesus. Notice what I said there. It's a devotion to Jesus through Mary. And that's really important mm-hmm. because all, all Marian devotion, and this comes straight from St. Louis de Montfort, who is like the Marian OG dude, as the kids say, dude, he's the dude of Mary. Yep. But as, as he would always say, he would always say to Jesus through Mary. So all, all Marian devotion is aimed towards Jesus. We just go through Mary. Um, and I think that's really important to emphasize in, in all Marian devotion. It's always focused on Jesus. So a, a scapular is an outward sign of our interior relationship with Jesus. Um, and there's also particular practices associated with the brown scapular, which we'll discuss in just a moment, um, which are designed to protect and nurture that, that relationship. Um, one in particular to keep us away from serious sin, but then also to cultivate that relationship. Um, not to mention the, you know, the physical scapular itself is um, a sacramental, which uh, can be a means of grace, which is a wonderful thing. Now, I wanted to talk about one word that we don't hear very often, I think, um, that I mentioned earlier, and that's confraternity. So what is a confraternity, and why would you join one? 
So a confraternity is an association within the church that allows others to gain spiritual benefit through through the collective prayer of a group. So, um, again, to give a shout out to St. Louis de Montfort, um, he refers to this as the law of prayer. Mm-hmm. I, I think all of us are very... Um, uh, we, we know of one confraternity that we've all heard of, but we didn't actually know it. Uh, if you go to CCD, you're a part of a confraternity. Yeah. Do you know what CCD stands for? Everyone knows CCD, <laughs> right? You're like, oh, dang it, you put me on the spot, Father Tony. Yeah. Everyone calls it CCD, and we just like we just know that there's you know it's a catechism, right? It's the confraternity of Christian doctrine. So wow. if you go to CCD, you're a part of the confraternity of Christian doctrine. The more you know, the more you know. So, which actually kind of makes it a little bit more profound, knowing that it allows others to gain spiritual benefit through the collective prayer of the group. So CCD, kind of confraternity of Christian doctrine, teaches through prayer. Yeah, that is key. The more you know. Yep. Just the facts, man. <laughs> I'm glad you slipped that one in there. <laughs> That's right. Always do. So the law of prayer, according to St. Louis de Montfort, he says prayer, when we pray alone, it's just this individual individual effect. So just imagine that you're like, you know, counting, I don't know, counting marbles, just one by one by one by one. He said when you pray with others, the effect starts to multiply. In fact, it, it actually grows exponentially. So he said, let's say you pray, you know, a rosary by yourself. He's the Marian guy, so he's always talking about the rosary. So you're praying a rosary by yourself. And that's that's worth one rosary, just to keep terms simple. <laughs> now imagine, he said, imagine you pray with five people. Pray the rosary together with, you know, you and four others. He said, now the, the spiritual impact on the world is as if you yourself prayed five rosaries. Whoa. Yeah. And then the other person yep. themselves prayed five rosaries. Exactly. So no, it, it actually grows math, exponentially. Is that is that 25? Yes. Yes. Yep. So it's like 25 rosaries were prayed. Yep. Nice. Yeah, and so this this is this actually illustrates like really well why communal prayer is so important why it's not enough to just be me and Jesus you need a community um, and that's why the church is important and by the church I mean not just the hierarchy which is of course important but the people next to you mm-hmm. in the pew I'm gonna be honest I'm gonna be honest for a minute right I'm always praying a little bit better when I'm with other people yeah right? if I'm praying the rosary by myself I'm easily distracted. Yep. If I'm praying with other people, there, there seems to be that 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 spiritual presence that helps me stay a little bit better focused. Yep. Typically, as someone who gets more distracted around other people, that's not true in prayer. So yeah. that's kind of a neat little thing to make the connection there. And actually, that's interesting you, you bring that up because St. Louis de Montfort actually goes one step further. Oh, dang. He says that when you pray with others, you pray as well as the, the strongest link, yes, if you good. will. Because that's so, usually not me. So let's say you're, you know how they say that, like in school, since we're in a school, you know how they say, you know, find the smartest kid in class and yep. study with them. Well, when you find the holiest person you know yes. and you pray with them, you receive the benefits of that prayer multiplied. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. Cool. Man, that's awesome. I like so, that. So this gives you just a glimpse, I think, of 
of the true benefit of being a part of a confraternity. This is this is what a confraternity is. You're essentially, even when you're not praying physically with others, you are praying together as a group. So, so because you, if you were to join the Brown Scapular Confraternity, you are enjoying the spiritual benefit of being associated with the Carmelites as well as all of the other lay members of this confraternity. I don't know if you've ever met a Carmelite. That's a lot of prayer that you're receiving. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that that just adds to it, and I think it's easily overlooked. Now, one thing I, want, I just wanted to share briefly was why do I wear a brown scapular in particular? Why so, do you? <laughs> Tell us. Thank you. <laughs> so when I was in college, I read uh, this book by Jason Everett, uh, St. John Paul the Great, which was uh, a biography aimed at like young adults, I think, uh, on the life of John Paul II. And it's a great book, highly recommend it. It was, it was transformational for me, definitely gave me a much deeper desire for holiness. And I remember vividly reading this story about John Paul II when he had an assassination attempt on his life. And he was rushed to the hospital, had to have open-heart surgery, and he insisted that the surgeons not remove his brown scapular. That's cool. Yeah. And so when I read that, I was like, one, if, if JP2 is doing it, that's enough reason. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. <laughs> so highly recommend that, that book um, as well as the scapular. And then I also have uh, a great quote from Pope St. Paul VI. On, he's talking about Marian devotions, but especially the scapular. And he says, Let the faithful hold in high esteem the practices and devotions to the Blessed Virgin approved by the teaching authority of the Church. It is our conviction that the Rosary of Mary and the Scapular of Carmel are among these recommended practices. The scapular is a practice of piety, which by its very simplicity is suited to everyone. That's kind of a statement. Yeah. Right? That's suited for everyone. Yep. Suited for everyone. That's pretty cool. And the other key here, simplicity. Yes. Well, I think that if it's suited to everyone, yeah. it has to be simple, right? Exactly. It must be. And not only that, it's mentioned in the same breath as the rosary. That's pretty cool. So, you know, this puts it on a pretty elevated elevated playing field as far as Catholic devotions, which is why we're talking about it. So now I want to talk about what, what specifically does being a member of this confraternity involve? Because as I alluded to before, um, it's not enough to just wear it and it's, you know, that permanent fire insurance, you just don't take it off and you, you know, get out a hell free card sort of thing. Um, It's more than that. So there's three specific things, and it's it's really quite simple. The first one is to wear the brown scapular continuously. Got it. Easy enough. Good. So number two, observe chastity according to one state in life. Okay. So obviously married, single, celibate, mm-hmm. etc., um, which is obviously highly recommended anyway. I think that's uh, kind of important. Yep. yep. Kind of a big deal. And then the last one is to... There's a few different options here. I see a lot of oars. Looks yeah, like, yeah. Looks like the missile. There are a lot of oars. <laughs> I 
that you were going to make, make a boat joke for a second. Well, like oars. O-A-R's. Oars. Oh, <laughs> wow. But, um... So, there's a lot... <laughs> uh, anyway. So, there's a lot of different options here. I'm just going to say the rosary, but there are other options to pray the little office of the Blessed Virgin. If you've never done that, highly recommend it. It's kind of like the Liturgy of the Hours, but very Marian. Um, observe observe the fasts of the church. The, sorry, this is the other or. Yep. Um, the, to observe the fasts of the church together with abstaining from meat on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Wednesdays are for Joseph. Saturdays are for Mary, by the way. That's a lot of abstaining from meat. It would be, yeah. It would be if that's the one I chose to do. Yep. <laughs> and then the final or is to, you could also substitute some other good work. If you're going to do that final or, I would recommend, you know, talking to a, a spiritual mentor yes. or, you know, make sure it's something good. Yes. Worthy use of your time. Yes. That sort of thing. But I, I generally just say the rosary because it's a whole lot simpler, but there are these other options. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty easy. Essentially, it just involves a life of prayer and devotion. Yeah. It's typically, for, for a lot of Christians and Catholics, we're already doing these anyway. Yep. Right? We're doing exactly. these. Um, so how do, you, how do you join this confraternity? Well, step one, buy a scapular. Either go to your local Christian store or buy it online. Um, and then you must be invested by a priest. It can be any priest. It does not have to be a Carmelite. It could even be me. Yes, it could even be you, Ooh. Father Tony. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so there's a there's a special blessing both for the scapular and then for them investing you with mm-hmm. the scapular. And that's really about it. Yeah. It's, not, it's not difficult. I've yeah. invested people. It's pretty easy. Yeah, super simple. Um, and then I just got one final pro tip. And this is something I don't think a lot of people know about, uh, but an additional spiritual benefit. So one of the previous popes, I forget which one it is, made the act of kissing your scapular with devotion a, granted a partial indulgence, also known as time off purgatory. Yes. So highly recommend it. And just from personal experience, you know, in times of, in times of temptation or desolation, that can be very powerful. Yeah. I mean, similar to the effects of like using holy water or, or using other sacramentals, I've had, I found it to be very effective mm-hmm. um, in times of temptation. So get a scapular, wear a scapular, you know, observe, observe these practices that were mentioned and kiss your scapular often with devotion. So that's all we got today, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. Make sure to go out and get your scapulars. And I'll, I'll be uh, be around to, to bless and invest yep. all of them later on.